Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. We established long ago that martial arts can be a superpower, and today we're going to China during World War II to discuss the movie Ip Man. No, it is not IP Man, it is Ip Man, and it's about a real-life figure who is important to the training of Bruce Lee, and we're going to discuss all the issues that the movie brings up about the role of martial arts and uh, how that can play in different situations, the journey of this particular man, and what happens when you actually tell a person's story with a kung fu movie instead of a biopic. All that more after a commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. Joining me today for the discussion of Ip Man is frequent guest Paul Hoppy. Paul, how are we doing today? Uh, not bad, yeah. I was, I was going to say default guest. I think that's my official position. Yeah. On the podcast. I, I, th- I like that a lot. Yeah. I like that a lot. And sometimes we get a third person on. Sometimes sure. we get someone instead. But you're kind of the like, you're, you're, the, you're the assumed go-to. Right, yeah, yeah. It's like, you don't have another guest. I'm the guest. It's cool. We'll do it. There you go. There you go. So, and this is one where it actually started with your suggestion because I hadn't heard of this movie. Or actually, it, it turns out uh, Ip Man is a, is a series of movies, mm-hmm. um, all created in China uh, and out of, I believe, a Hong Kong-based studio. Mm-hmm. Um that are very popular there and, and have quite a good deal of popularity here in the United States. I had just totally missed it. Um, but as part of our discussion about Cobra Kai, and we will be covering season four at some point, probably in conjunction with the fourth of the Ip Man movies. Uh, but in that discussion of Cobra Kai, you brought up this movie. And, and at first, I think we were going to maybe do coverage of it with Cobra Kai. But then I watched it. and I was like, there's so much to talk about here. Let's just do this movie uh, on its own. Uh, but tell me more about Ip Man uh, and... Why, why, why this movie was one you wanted to talk about? Yeah, so I mean, I originally wanted to watch it because I was just like, I want to find some movies in Cantonese to watch so I can practice my Cantonese, which is not yeah. very good, um, except <laughs> when it comes to vegetables. I, I know tons of vegetables. Um, I mean, you know, when when people who speak only Cantonese are cooking for you, that's probably a good thing. Right. To learn. Exactly. Exactly. Um, although they speak. Toysonese, which Toysen, is yeah. related, but anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a whole lot there. Uh, but, you know, and the, the movie turns out to have Cantonese, Mandarin, Japanese. Um, actually, this movie inspired me to then go and do the entire Duolingo tree of Mandarin because that's all they had. I was like, oh, I'll just I'll just learn this language. And then the other anyway, um, my <laughs> language learning goals are a bit of a disaster. But yeah, uh, yeah. And to, to be clear for those, uh, it is uh, offered with subtitles on uh, Netflix, I believe, is where we found it. Oh, of course. Um, yes, so yeah. speaking Cantonese, I'm sure you're going to get even more out of it. But yeah, there is a way to um, follow along with subtitles. Right. Exactly. And, you know, there's spots where knowing you know, even my limited Cantonese, I'm like, mm, that's not exactly what they said, I don't think. But mm-hmm. usually the subtitles are at least in the spirit of, of what's being said, right? Or, right. or the plot. Um, but yeah, it also is just a, a really good martial arts movie, you know, made by martial artists, um, right. which I think contrasts with something like, say, Cobra Kai, which is a show that has martial arts in it. And it's kind of about martial arts, but, right. you know... Um, here, I feel like the movie itself is, it's not about a martial artist. It is in some ways about martial arts, like beyond, you know, that, yeah. and sort of the, the place of martial arts in the world and, you know, the place of martial arts in a world with guns and, you mm-hmm. know, how one should go about using their skill and power. Um, and then, you know, it has a lot of commentary on, not so much commentary as much as like the setting, you know, we we see... 
Ipman be like really rich and then we see him be really broke and, you know, and sort of the power dynamics of being, uh, being wealthy in an area that's your home and then being uh, poor in what's now an occupied country. Um, And so, yeah, there's just a lot going on. And I, I thought it would be, uh, you know, a fun movie to talk about. Well, let's, since I'm guessing that a lot of our audience probably has not seen this movie, let's start with just a quick plot summary, and then we're going to talk a little about the real person who this movie is based on. Um, Paul, you want to take a shot at sure. a one-minute summary of the plot? Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like two movies, almost. Uh, there's like a 30-minute kind of intro, which establishes um, who Itman is, and, you know, he's he's a teacher. Well, not a teacher, actually. He's a master of Wing Chun, which is a Chinese martial art in Foshan, which is near, which is like in the Cantonese speaking region of of China, Mm -hmm. right? Southern China. And uh, everybody kind of wants him to teach, but like he doesn't really want to teach. And then everybody wants to fight him and then he fights them and they all lose. Um, And so he's just this extremely skilled martial artist who's very wealthy and is kind of just chilling and sort of ignoring his family while playing with his friends. And to be clear, this this first part is set in like the mid-1930s. Correct. And then Japan uh, invades China in a in a montage, and then we cut to basically, um, you know, Itman and his family being very poor, and everybody there being poor because um, because of you know the events of you know I think pre World War II right it was the second uh, Sino Japanese War basically right yeah I mean like a lot of folks will now say that like we really should think of World War II as starting in. You know, starting with the conflict between uh, China and Japan, exactly. and it's a kind of West, yeah. But it's, it's definitely it's the the conflict between with the the Japanese invasion of China and and the fighting between those nations. Um, it, it is directly a part of the conflict that then where America then gets brought in with the uh, Pearl Harbor and all that. Yeah. So it's 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 all it is the conflict that we think of as World War Two, but the events in the movie are happening before. West, we in the West often think of World War II starting. Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, the whole war was so massive that it's very complicated, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I think you summed it up well there. And then, basically, you know, Ipman goes to work at... Um, what is he working? He's he's like breaking up. It's like coal it's a coal fa- it's a coal mining right. So he's or doing, no, it's, a, it's a coal factory. Yeah, basically. he's doing he's working at this coal factory, and there's this. Um, occupying the the Japanese general I think who's in charge of the occupation is is a martial arts fan and so right. he basically takes um all of these fighters and you know martial artists from Foshan which was known for for its martial arts and um like has them fight and they can like win a bag of rice right which is like very valuable when when you're very poor and so Eventually, Itman challenges him, and you know they fight, and um, that's that's kind of a the, the second half of the movie is a lot longer, but in some mm-hmm. ways it feels um, feels kind of like almost similar in terms of how much is going on in a way. I don't know, right? Yeah, and so um, so the gen- the general is known as uh, I'm, I'm maybe not pronouncing this right, but General Miura Miura. Um, and as you said, he's he's a big martial arts fan, and so he has uh, people come and fight in this sort of like karate space that he's set up, karate martial arts space, and 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 for the Chinese, there's kind of a like you know, as I understood, and we'll get more into this, like <clears throat> it's a real kind of question of like, are you 
you know, are you participating in the in sort of the oppression by fighting, or is this a chance to kind of get you know even or to like you know win over the Japanese things like that? Uh, but it's very clearly um, like a, a really horrible situation. Um, uh, I I didn't I, I I thought you were I don't know if you were paused or if you were done. So I kind of took over. But if you want to, yeah, no, no, no. I was I was realizing that I had gone about three minutes on a one minute summary. <laughs> uh, but uh-huh. <laughs> to, uh, please fill in the gaps. <laughs> it's okay. There's a lot. Um, so and 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 essential to this also is that there's a um a Chinese person, one of Ipmon's friends, um, who's basically a collaborator. He is helping. Mm-hmm. He speaks Japanese. In theory, he's a translator, but he is helping the Japanese to like get these Chinese people to come and fight against them. And you know, very predictably, sometimes the Chinese people are killed, especially if they like don't fight well, or sometimes if they fight too well. Um, and it's this very bad situation. Uh, at first, Ipmon does not want to fight, uh, but then once he sees that, like, sometimes people are being killed, he his first reaction is to kind of want to go, like, you know, get revenge, to, to do something about this. And so he goes and he says that he wants to fight 10 of, 10 of the Japanese people while the general watches. Um, and he just utterly kicks their butt. Like, he wrecks house with them. And it's clear that when he was fighting earlier he would often pull his punches a little bit. Like, he would win, but he wasn't trying to, like, hurt people. Here, he's very clearly, like, out of anger, out of revenge. Very, very understandable. But he's, his goal is to hurt people. And after that, we get some time with him where he clearly feels like he's kind of mad at himself or uh, ashamed. Or certainly, he feels like it didn't work. You know, it didn't actually change anything in terms of the Japanese occupation. Um, I think he says couple- exactly, like, today, you know, I learned today that I am useless. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think, one of the key themes of the movie is sort of the so much of the martial arts world is about individual combat, like a, one champion versus another champion settling things. And like, you know, one martial artist against 100,000 Japanese soldiers with guns and tanks, like it just doesn't work. Um, but so so that there, there, there's more drama that goes on. We'll fill in more of the details as we go on. But um it eventually leads to uh, – there's a quick side plot that I'll mention in a second, but it leads to Ipmon um, challenging the general to a one-on-one fight, something that the general had kind of indicated he wanted. Uh, they fight, and uh, Ipmon wins the fight, uh, and as part of and, – and he, he pretty much – I mean, like, he does real damage to the general to the point where I think it's very possible to believe the general is, like, serious – like – he kind of like ends the fight with a kick to the head that bangs the general's head against a wooden post. And, you know, this feels like it's showing the damage that Daredevil often doesn't, mm. you know, that kind of okay. way of like yeah. the, the general's definitely not in a good state. Um, the general's sort of second in command who has been this entire time, like the most like, like I, there, there were many, many atrocities. I'm not sure I can say that this is like an inaccurate portrayal, but it's definitely the sort of like, most mustache twirly, like, I will do everything I possibly can to show you that I'm sadistic and cruel and abusing the power. Uh, his name is Colonel Sato. Um, and that uh, Colonel Sato shoots Ipmon uh, right after Ipmon wins the fight. Right. This uh, sends all the Chinese folks who are uh, um, watching into kind of a fury and they, uh, you know, storm storm the, 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 the space. They overcome the... Japanese soldiers who are guarding it and they kind of are able to like 
rescue Ipmon and his family because uh, he's wounded but not dead and and take them to safety. And it's a kind of symbolic like winning out over the Japanese military in that moment. Yeah. Um, and then the movie ends by filling us more filling us on more of Ipmon's story, including the fact that he went he does live. He wound up fleeing to um, Hong Kong. Shanghai or to Hong Kong. Hong Kong. He, fle- he flees to Hong Kong, where he spends a lot more of his life. <clears throat> he eventually becomes this incredibly well-respected and well-known um, teacher of Wing Chun. Uh, am I pronouncing that right? Yeah. I mean, more yeah. or less. I mean, as, as, well, as right as I'm going to pronounce it. <laughs> That's fair. Um, and that one of his students is a person who we know now as Bruce Lee. And it's sort of the so it's the he has a, a very lasting effect effect on um the the world of martial arts to be sure indeed um so yeah and then one of the side plots is that early in the movie there's a group of folks from the north uh, and I think you said that they're speaking Mandarin not Cantonese right, right? um they come to because this area of Fushan is supposed to be kind of like a mecca of martial arts. And, and the leader of their school is just challenging all these other leaders of other schools, kicking their butts. Finally, he fights Ipmon. Ipmon doesn't want to fight him, doesn't want to fight him. Eventually, he does fight him and wins. Uh, and now, fast forward, <clears throat> during this occupation time, um, Ipmon's brother has a factory that he runs. Everyone's obviously still, like you said, the, the occupation. They're, like, stealing all the money they can, but they're just kind of getting by. And now this group of, of you know, it... it you know, ruffians, I think is a kind of appropriate <laughs> term. They want to come rough up the factory and basically take all the money. And Ipmon trains the people in the fight factory in how to fight back. They they wind up challenging the group. They mostly get their butts kicked, but Ipmon is able to, again, win out in single combat against the leader of that group. Um, yeah, I would say yeah, that so, they, like, fight back initially successfully as they kind of have the element of surprise, but then it's like their, you know, their week of training or whatever isn't going to overcome... You know, yeah. a bunch of um, like bandits is how I would describe them because they were yeah. right. Didn't they rob is... um, some something along yeah. the road or something? It, it felt very kind of Robin Hood. Yeah, very much so, very much so. But they were not giving to the poor. No, no, they were not. <laughs> but they were the poor. So you know. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, I think part part of what their story is about is how like in this just horrible situation of oppression, like all, sometimes like people turn on each other, right, and things like that. Um, and 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 yeah, and so. So I think that that's kind of the plot of it, and we'll get more into it. But let's just talk for a minute about the the story of Ipmon himself, because as I said, this is a it's not a biopic because we often think of them. Um, it sort of is one, but it's definitely taking a lot of historical license. Yeah. Although that's what biopics often do. Um, but it, it's much more about like it's a kung fu movie, I think first and foremost, and a historical drama about a real person. And we'll get into that more. But just start by. Um, Tell us more about Ipmon the person and kind of what you know about him going into this movie and, and his importance to martial arts. Well, I mean, okay, so so I'll start with Wing Chun, actually, I think, uh-huh. which um, to just back up a moment, um, I am a student and teacher of Taekwondo, which is Korean martial art, um, but which is generally regarded as being sort of of this like northern style of sort of hard, direct, straight line types of arts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually almost ended up kind of running part, uh, a Wing Chun school uh, because when I was going to open a new uh, Taekwondo school with with two friends of mine, um, one of them was also a Wing Chun practitioner and he's kind of pivoted into really doing um, mostly Wing Chun. Um, mm. 
uh, Sifu William Kwok, who um, they actually ended up naming the school right after I decided not to go join them in, in opening it. They named it Gotham Martial Arts. And I was like, well, if you told me that you had that name, I probably would have done it. But I like it. <laughs> anyway, um, so, you know, Wing Chun is... One, one of the yeah. quick connections I want to mention, um, Zuhair, Zuhair Ali, who <clears throat> has been a guest on this show, he's one of the hosts of the Animation Deliberation podcast. Um, he often talks about Filipino martial mm-hmm. arts that he has studied for quite a while. And um, he, he was telling me this, I don't remember the details, but I hope we're going to have him back, that we may have him on as a another guest to talk about the next uh, Ipmon movie, oh, Ip, the fourth one that we probably talk about, because he was explaining that the the teacher who I, I think it's that the person who taught him uh, this Filipino martial art had been trained somewhat by Ipmon, and that like oh, really? the, the Filipino martial art was a lot kind of not it, it's very Filipino. It, it, it mm-hmm. originates in the Philippines to be sure, but was very influenced by Wing Chun. Right. Um, and, and one quick question of my own. Is Wing Chun a form of Kung Fu, or is that just kind of a mistake people make because they think all Chinese martial arts is Kung Fu? Well, so <laughs> so Wushu is generally the actual term for like martial arts in China. Uh-huh. And so Wing Chun would, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure, be a form of Wushu. Um, and in fact, Donnie Yen, who portrays Hitman here, I believe is a Wushu champion, like was a competitor and is like right. formally trained. I think his mom actually was like a Tai Chi grandmaster. So, you know, mm. he grew up with martial arts. He's like a, a real legit martial artist. Um, right. And I think that very much comes through in the... Um, in the you know the in through the, in the movie and for people who maybe aren't that familiar with Donnie Yen but maybe are Star Wars fans, um, he's in Rogue One. You know he's the the forces with me. I'm one with the force. Blah blah blah. Um, right. And are you kidding? I'm blind. As they put a <laughs> exactly. Bag over his head. When they they try they put a bag over his head. Um, and and in that movie he he wrecks it with the with the martial arts as well. Um, yeah. But yeah. So so um, wushu is generally the the term that's that's usually used. Kung fu actually is an even broader term that generally means like to um, practice something to gain skill. So like your homework could be like kung fu, basically. Okay. Right. So, but but it's also used more specifically, um, you know, to to mean various you know forms of, of wushu, but. Um, oh. But so yeah, it's it's kind of a casual term, right? But um, but so Wing Chun is a, is a specific style, um, or maybe even family of styles because there's a there's a bunch of different lineages. Um, lineage is very important um, in in martial arts or in, to a lot of martial artists, um, and it's it's a southern style. One of the historical things about it is um, that it was either created by or partially created by a woman. Um, like mm-hmm. hundreds of years ago, I think. Um, and so the idea is, is, you know, part of the idea is it's this very kind of trapping fluid style that allows a, a smaller person to be over, to be able to overcome a larger person, right? It's not like just right. using brute strength. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that comes through in the movies pretty well. Um, very much. Yeah. Especially because in so often it's people who are, o- who are overconfident who are fighting him. Exactly. And, and he, it, it's very much, Kind of him, you know, kind of like letting them overextend themselves and then being able to take advantage of those mistakes. Yeah, and the, you know, the northerner who comes and fights him, who who wanted to um, open up a school. He wanted to come and defeat everybody and open up a school and make lots of money, basically. And um, who I will always refer to as the guy who looks like Carl Urban. 
um, because of his perpetual scowl. Um, like his, his actual name is a uh, <clears throat> uh, again. I'm gonna do my best to pronounce this. Uh, Jin Shanzo. Yeah, yeah. We can go with Jin. Um, yes. He he gets defeated. Like he's got a sword, and Ipmon grabs a feather, like a giant feather. Yeah, it's like a feather duster. Right, or exactly. Like and and he beats him with that. So that's kind of almost like this very um, very literal analogy of like hard style versus soft style. Um, right. And I'm not certain exactly what style um, the the Japanese general was using, but um, I mean, it, it looks like Shotokan Karate to me, which is this northern, mm-hmm. um, very kind of hard style. Um, right. You know, and and um, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of Filipino martial arts, as literally being more in the south, there is more exchange of sort of southern styles, you know, and the, the right. sort of circular, um, kind of softer, trappy um, types of styles. But so, so Ipman was is a was a legendary teacher of Wing Chun. He taught Bruce Lee, mm-hmm. taught a lots of, lots of others um, who then taught others, and you know, he was he was a grandmaster, really. Um, and, uh, grew up in, actually, I, th- I think it was complicated, like his whole, like when he went where was complicated, but I, I think he, he was, he, he was, uh, born in, um, either in Foshan or, or, um, Guangdong. Um, yeah. And actually that's, a that's like the state Guangdong. Anyway, um, the, the, <clears throat> So he grew up in mainland, but then he went to high school, I think, in or some kind of school, like when he was 16 in right. Hong Kong. And then he came back to mainland, and then he went back to Hong Kong. Um, and I think him going to Hong Kong was less about fleeing the Japanese occupation and maybe more about fleeing, you know, the, the communists. Uh, the Chinese communists, yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> so, you know, I mean, you had the whole civil war going on during his life. Um, and here he's shown as being a reluctant teacher. Uh, I'm not sure how historically accurate that is. Um, it, it might be. I mean, I think that's true with a lot of teachers. Is a lot of people are like, I just want to do this thing. I just, uh, okay, I guess I'll teach it, you know? Um, yeah. Like personally, speaking from experience, I never really set out to be a teacher of anything. But like, I always ended up teaching pretty much all the things that I learned to do. Um, it, it just feels like kind of, um, it's this sort of like natural progression of like when you acquire knowledge or you build, you know, hard earned skill, it's like passing it to someone else feels like this sort of continuation of that journey. And, and that's, that's often very big in, in the martial arts aside from, you know, just being like a grandmaster or whatever it's, you know, you learn something, you teach it, you learn something, you teach it. Um, right. But so, yeah, I, th- I think this is a pretty loose interpretation <laughs> of um, the, um, the events of Ipman's life. But I think it is intended mm-hmm. to be sort of in the spirit of the truth. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's very true. And I think that um, certainly I think where the, the, the historical accuracy, the movie leaves the portray. If you knew very little about history, you might sort of get the impression that this incident in history helped to inspire the Chinese to defeat the Japanese in World War II. Right, right, right. Which is very historically inaccurate in a lot of different <laughs> yeah, yeah, ways. Yeah, that um, there were a couple other nations fighting the Japanese as well. The the fighting, I mean, the, the, the I, I'm not going to get into like any kind of discussion yeah. of how well the Chinese fought. It was, they, they, they did not, they were never conquered by the Japanese entirely. It's, it's a very, very complex situation and story. And, 
I think um, part of why we're focusing on the martial arts here to a large extent is, you know, obviously you and I, neither one of us are Chinese or Japanese. You have a lot of connections with um, <clears throat> Chinese family and culture and the like. But I think that there, there's a, a lots of debates about how that war played out and how it's perceived today that that could be had. And, and neither of us is the, is the person to get into that. But certainly I think it's very fair to say that the the movie gives a very um, – uh, the movie gives a a I want to say like a very sort of pro Chinese portrayal of that of 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 that perspective, but like to be clear, almost every American like I don't think it is worse than every, almost every American war movie except war movies about Vietnam, you know. So it's mm. not like I think that it's it's incredible something totally new and different. I think American movies do this all the time. But, you know, just it, it, there's a lot of the history to take with a lot of grains of salt. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't know all the details of the history that much. But I, you know, <laughs> historically, like, it is pretty clear uh, a lot of the atrocities that, you know, whether they're specific to what happened here, like, overall, right. that's very much, I think, in the spirit of the truth. I do think um, it is very, it is very pro-Chinese in a way that if it were a... Hong Kong film before 1997, maybe, maybe it would have mm -hmm. been a little different. Um, but yeah. this movie was made in 2008. So it's, it's made in Hong Kong, I believe, but with collaboration from, you know, the, the mainland China government. And so right. maybe certain things <laughs> about what was going on at that time period, like they're just, they just didn't touch any of that, you know? Yeah. And I think given, you know, the, the situation, I think that's, you know, to some extent wise, probably, right? But, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, you know, war movies tend to be either like, rah, rah, you know, aren't we so great? Or like, oh, look at the horrors we've done. Um, and right. this is definitely more on the rah, rah side. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think, you know, I think in some ways, like if the movie is about a fictional character, but just sort of having a fictional story that ha could have happened, I don't think any of it is like, oh, no, that's not how things were. You know, the, the Colonel Sato character, I think we know the atrocities were very real. There definitely were people like that. And even the general, he's more restrained than the colonel and sometimes is stopping the colonel. But he's starting from a place of, I think, you know, my culture is better than Chinese mm -hmm. culture. And therefore, I want to show people that my martial arts are better than than Chinese martial arts. Um, right. Yes. Which is very much the the same as what ha and, and we'll talk about that idea because it's it's the same kind of thing that was happening at the beginning of the movie where people were wanting to be like, well, I want to prove that my my version of con of martial arts is better through all these individual combats. Yeah. Um, I, I just I just want to like just very briefly like when you know when we kind of casually mentioned like that there were atrocities like Nanking like hundreds of thousands of civilians oh, yeah, were absolutely. murdered and like 10 to 25 million Chinese died of, of starvation and other, other, you know, and murder like yeah. during, you know, because of the, the invasion and occupation. So like, I think just like, you know, just like giving a little bit more specificity there. Yeah. Um, even... no, I, I think that's important. And I think, um, I, I actually have met, I may have mentioned this before, but my, my father did a, his research in law school on how, you know, the there were war crime trials uh, in Japan, just like there were in Germany with Nuremberg, but those get so much less attention. And there's a, a right. lot of that is the you know racism and that it, it's only the American victim. Like we talk a lot about the Bataan Death March, but almost nothing about you know the atrocities that happened in in China to Chinese people themselves. Yeah. Um. Uh, but okay, so let's let's kind of segue into um the first thing I think we want to talk about, which is 
this movie has a very interesting portrayal of the martial arts themselves. Mm-hmm. And I know you're often concerned about the way martial arts is portrayed in, in movies and in TV shows, such as about sure. schools in <laughs> California. Um, so what are, what are kind of some of your concerns about how martial arts are sometimes shown in media and how do you feel like this movie addresses them? Yeah, um, I mean, mostly it just feels like anything that you know a lot about and then you see a portrayal in media, I think most of the time most people are like, mm, that doesn't feel quite right. You know, Mm -hmm. when something's written by people who are just like, oh, let's do an episode about poker. It's like, oh, oh, like, you know, or like chess or whatever. And that's why, like, when, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to cover the Queen's Gambit when we did was I was like, I watched it. I was like, oh, this feels like actual people playing real chess, you know, like and and you you get that more now, I think, than you used to, but you you don't get it all the time. Right. And I I remember saying um, when the movie Coco came out. I was incredibly impressed that they actually. I, I'm a guitar player. You're a guitar mm-hmm. player. I could watch the thing, the animated fingers move on the animated guitar, and know that that was actually what you would have to do to play the notes that were playing. Right. Where often what'll happen is like the things that the actor is doing have nothing to do with the sounds that they're preparedly making. But anyway, it, so exactly. Yeah, it's, it's that same kind of thing. Yeah. So so a lot of times it's you know you see martial arts being portrayed by people who don't know anything about it or just like, you know, we we just want to show something that we think looks cool. Um, Or if they're talking about teaching, like they're not necessarily doing it in in a very realistic kind of way about like how people actually learn and and teach. And, um, you know, sometimes it's, you, you show people kicking and punching each other and just like everybody's totally fine afterwards. And it's like, well, that's right. ridiculous, you know. Um, but then other times you show people do things that you're like, well, that that probably wouldn't actually hurt someone if you did that that way, you know. There's there's no power mm-hmm. being generated. So like here, it it felt like it was um, actually I think one of the martial arts consultants or the main martial arts consultants was um, one of um, Ipman's sons, I think Ip Chun. Mm. Um, and uh, and so it felt like very real. It felt like you have a main actor who's really a martial artist. You have people who wrote the movie who who probably really understand kind of like what it's about and sort of the questions about like, you know, why would a person practice martial arts in, you know, in today's world or, you know, 70 years ago even, or geez, right. was that like 90 years ago, almost 85 years. Um, but yeah, there, there is this whole, you know, idea of like, um, you know, the, the duel and it's like somebody goes and challenges someone to prove that their style is the better style. And right. which which is on the surface just a ridiculous notion because it's like, uh, you know, they're actually to, to get into a little like Bruce Lee philosophy. You know, the idea is like there's there's something to be learned from any style, right? Every style has right. things that are going to work well and maybe some things that maybe aren't the best ideas, but they just do them anyway. Um and so, you know, what Bruce Lee did is like pull from a lot of different styles, beginning with Wing Chun, but then, you know, pulled from a lot of other styles as well mm. um, and, and created Jeet Kune Do, right? Which is, which is sort of, which I guess you could say is a descendant of Wing Chun, but at the same time is sort of a descendant of all martial arts because right. that's the sort of how it's built. Um, but, you know, ultimately what it comes down to is not whose style is better. It's like, who's better, right? <laughs> like yeah. if you take a style that overall is just very, very bad for whatever reason, which isn't going to be 
too much of a thing, right? But like maybe somebody teaches something that doesn't make sense and someone learns it really well. Well, it's not going to work very well, right? But if two people have different styles, but one person trains 40,000 hours and one person trains 2,000 hours, like the person who trained 40,000 hours is probably going to come out being a lot better at it. But, you know, then there's also natural abilities, you know, there's, there's size, strength, speed, like there's, there's a lot going on. And so right. when, when, um, when your mom fights, um, Jin, right. The, the Northern mm-hmm. Chinese guy, um, and defeats him and, and Jin's like, oh, your Southern style has defeated my Northern style. And, you know, it's like, it's not the style, it's you. You know, (laughs) which is like, oh, that's kind of cold, right? But like, that's, and whether that was also kind of his point to, you know, the, um, the general at the end, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Like, that seems a little less clear. It kind of like, it was like, no, it's because we're Chinese. And I was like, hmm, I don't think that was the takeaway here. Like, I think the takeaway was like, it's, it's not your style, it's you, you know, it's some failing that you have, whether it's your ability to execute your style or whether it's like why are you fighting you know there's this idea sometimes of like if you're fighting for the right reasons or you have like proper motivation you're actually going to be better i i I don't know how much stock i put in that but like i feel like it can't hurt yeah you know you know it makes sense and i I think one of the most interesting things about the movie is this sort of the how it shifts a lot in terms of his understanding of that and you know, and how how deeply baked into the whole culture it is. This idea of, um, you know, the in it, it, it's funny because it it very much is like um, you know, in Game of Thrones when like instead of two armies fighting, let's have like the two individual champions, you know, come out and fight. Like right. you know, my best fighter against your best fighter. And in one of the most interesting parts of the movie, at the very beginning, there's a character named Master Liu, um, who is the the he- he's just kind of opened up another new school in town and he like he comes to visit um Ipmon and just like you know let, let's just have a fight just right. like friendly let's yeah. let's do it and Ipmon tries to put him aside and it's like well i mean like, he's literally eating a meal with his family yeah. and this guy's like oh wait no problem <laughs> um and then he's like and, have you and, eaten like come yeah, join us let's eat they're very polite to each other um, they insist on fighting in this room with like a lot of like beautiful like vases <laughs> and stuff. And uh, Itmon's wife was like, "Please don't break any of my stuff." Um, he keeps saying the, the other guy keeps saying to the fight like they keep breaking things. He's like, "I'll pay for that. I'll pay for that." That, that was um, that was later. That was Jin who was like, "I'll pay. I'll pay." Oh no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah this okay. guy. They yeah. actually did. I think go outside eventually. Did they eventually go outside? I, I, I don't know. I they don't break as much stuff. He he defeats him much more easily. Yeah, actually. Definitely. So that's why they don't but break so much. But then it's very important to him that no one know that this happened. Right. Because he believes that if people know, he'll lose face and then no one will want to study with him. Which, you know, if you think about the fact that there are all these different schools in town, like, they're not, they can't all be exactly as good at each other. Presumably one is the best fighter of them all. But people go to all these different schools. Mm-hmm. So, like, the idea of, but, but it's, it's very, and a, a big part of the plot of the first part of the movie is... Like, Ipmon promises to keep it a secret, but someone else saw, and then, like, all the things about, you know, was he, you know, it's, it's like almost a go-to-the-police thing about, like, slander. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's very interesting how that's portrayed of how important this idea of, you know, if, if I'm defeated by anyone, it's an attack on me, but it's also an attack on everything I teach. Yeah, and, and that's, I have to say, that 
you know, that matches my experience with martial arts today, you know, or mm. a few years ago, uh, where people do, I think, feel like, you know, teachers, I think, feel like they have to look invincible or, or flawless right. or whatever. And, you know, at a certain level, like, yeah, you, you know, I think people, people think that someone's not going to want to learn from someone who doesn't like have all the answers and right. doesn't, um, you know, and can't just defeat any challenger. But I, I've always thought that was kind of ridiculous. I mean, I felt that pressure myself of like, you know, at, when I was a teacher, I became a teacher when I was, I was still a red belt, but like I started running yeah. a school when I was, I was a second degree black belt. And um, it was, it was hard like going and competing. And I felt like, you know, my teacher was like, well, why do you want to compete? You know? And he was like, when I wanted to compete, it was because I wanted to show that, you know, Korean martial arts was better than Japanese martial arts because, <laughs> you know, Korea also got uh, invaded by Japan. Right. And so there's, right. there's some, there's some bad blood there. Um, and I was like, yeah, that's, that's not really what I want to do. Um, <laughs> you know, what, what I want to do is like basically just become as good as I can. And, um, because competition is a good way of like seeing how good you are. Yeah, not, not even seeing, but like actually getting better, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of like a fire through which you can kind of forge your your mm -hmm. metal or I don't know. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but it it you know for me it was like I want to be the best I can be because I feel like the better I am, the better I can teach. Right. But I, I think that was a little bit misguided. Like I wanted to compete because I wanted to compete too. Also, just you yeah. know that was just that was just thing, but. I, I do think that a lot of people see that the best competitors aren't always the best teachers, you know, mm -hmm. often are not often, you know, if you think about like the, the greatest tennis player ever, like, are they going to be the best teacher of tennis? Like maybe not, maybe it came too easily for them. Right. Maybe that makes I, it harder I've told to the teach. Story told the story before about how people asked Ted Williams, like, you know, to teach people how to hit a baseball because Ted Williams is right. arguably one of, if not the greatest hitter in baseball history. Yeah. And um, he, what he said was, well, yeah, you just, you know, watch the way the ball, watch the way the ball is rotating yeah. and know what kind of pitch it is. And there's maybe one person out of a million who have eyesight good enough to do what he could do. Right. You know? Yeah. He so, had like yeah, 23 was, vision or something. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> that thing of like, there are some people who just have skills that are so much better than anyone else that they can't teach someone who doesn't have the same skill level. Right. Um. Yeah, the same sort of inherent, just physical aspects of one's body. Right. And, you know, and that's one of the things, like, in a martial arts school, it can be very helpful to have a bunch of different teachers, right? Where, you know, you all want to be teaching the same general principles. But if you have, if you're kind of short and you want to learn how to fight and someone really tall is like, oh, just just you do a lead leg sidekick. Just hit them before they get to you. It's like, that's not going to work if you're 5'3 and they're six feet tall. Right. Yeah. You're going to want someone who's like five, two and is like, oh, well, here's how I do it. You know, here's how I get in on those tall people and then beat the crap out of them. Like. Right. And so, you know, if you have a bunch of different teachers who are teaching somewhat different styles, like you just find the style that's right for you. You find the teacher that's right for you. So this this yeah. idea of like you have to be the best and undefeated and whatever, it's it just feels it's always felt very misguided to me. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think the. The movie kind of sort of says that, you know, because like Ipman right. is like, look, I don't I'm not necessarily going to be the best teacher. Right. Like, I don't even want to yeah. teach. And then he does teach and he's a great teacher. So maybe that undermines that point. But like there are other teachers and it's not like their students aren't getting value 
right? Just because someone else can defeat them. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's very much an idea behind that of <clears throat> that you can say, like, in a vacuum, one particular style is the best for all people in all situations. And then you're saying, you know, like, Taekwondo, and you've talked about being, like, you know, it's a lot about kicking, mm -hmm. you know? And I'm guessing someone for whom, like, most of their strength is in their upper body, not their lower body, like, that might not be the ideal, you know? Like, all the kind of things. Um, I want to shift to one other thing. that I think that this movie does a really interesting thing of portraying and, and kind of talk about how it does in this movie, but also in other things, of is this question of kind of, like, what's the role of martial arts when conflicts aren't just between individuals, you know, and there's mm -hmm. a scene and, and part of that is kind of like the group, you know, you know, an army versus an army versus a, a person versus a person, but also, and, and the movie's very explicit about this, that there's an element of like, as war becomes more technological, technological, like what's the role of martial arts. And in that early part of the movie, there's a police officer who, who basically is saying to these people who are arguing about martial arts, like, look, I have a gun and you know, it, it doesn't matter how good at martial arts you are. I can just shoot you. And, you know, I think you can argue back and forth, like, how true is that? Like, it's certainly in close combat. But, yeah, I think that there's some truth to the idea of, like, you know, a person with a gun at 20, who's 20 feet away from a martial artist, like, that person who had been studying martial arts for 20 years, this person could have one hour of gun training. They're probably going to win that fight if they can get a shot off before the person can get close enough to, to hit them in some way. Um, and that's kind of a theme that the movie specifically deals with. And, as you said, one of the things that Ibn deals with is kind of realizing, like, his ability to defeat individual Japanese soldiers in combat doesn't do anything. Right. Um, what, what's kind of your take on how, on how this is uh, – how, how that kind of question of the role of martial arts in larger-scale con conflicts uh, is, is portrayed in this movie? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it was kind of nice how early on they had that cop who then became the translator, right? He was, right. he was the guy who, who kind of didn't really side with the Japanese, but was complicit for, for a time. Right. right? Um, I, I'm trying to uh, make sure we say the name for the most part. I think we're going to call people by kind of the collaborator, things like that. Cause I don't, I don't want to mispronounce names over and over and over again, but the cop is named uh, Lee Chu. Mm, okay. Who also, I just want to mention is portrayed by an actor named Gordon Lamb, who I just want to mention because I I think uh, uh, the actor playing um, Ipman is fantastic. I think he's also a fantastic actor because, and again, I'm reading subtitles, but just from his expressions, the tone, like you really get a sense of how trapped he feels. That he he when when people call him a traitor, when people call him a collaborator, he he wants to defend himself, but he also kind of to some extent knows that they're true. Uh, we'll we'll talk more about that, but I just want to give that. Uh, Quick aside. So yeah, back to the cop and what it means about the the war. Yeah, I yeah, I thought I thought actually his performance was great and um you know, he's one of the characters who who kind of doesn't have to do martial arts. So maybe they right. just get someone just for their acting ability, you know. I mean, it's <laughs> it's like fair. sometimes you're like, yeah, we want someone who can do all this martial arts and and can also act and it's like that's that's right. hard, right? It's it's hard to get people who are really good at a bunch of things. Um yeah. but yeah, I, I thought it was really nice how they showed early on how, like, yeah, if you're at close range, like, you know, I mean, we I did gun takeaways, like, not in Taekwondo. I did that in Krav Maga with a friend who was a, you know, Taekwondo black belt. But, right. um, you know, that's a thing. Like, you can disarm someone with a gun at close range. Right. 20 feet away, uh, you're, you're better off just turning and running the other direction. And people's aim, actually, from 20 feet is, most people is fairly poor. Um, right. But, like... Yeah, so, you know, guns... To be clear, we're not... At, if someone holds a gun on you, I hope that never happens. We're not advocating you... We're, 
We are not advocating anything you should do or not do in the face of a gun. I just don't want to get sued. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, whatever. I mean, you make your own choices. Um, You know, I always taught knife defense number one was you you just leave. But, like, you know, obviously circumstances, you know, there's different circumstances. The point is, is, like, one person who's really good at martial arts can, can maybe disarm someone with a gun. If you have a bunch of people with guns, like, good luck with that. And, yeah. like, when you have an army with tanks and planes and, you know, it's like, yeah, you're, you're not going to have, um, you know, hand-to-hand combat. Like, people make, you know, jokes about the Polish, like, attacking the tanks on horseback. But it's like, that's what they had. They had horses. What are they going to do? What, they didn't have tanks, right? Do they have tanks? And, I don't and think fun, tanks. fun little note, the first time yeah. when Germany invaded <laughs> Poland, right. the first time... These tanks were still very new to warfare. The first time that the cavalry, literal cavalry, charged the the panzers, the German tanks, the Germans fled. Right. right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like, sometimes you can uh, overwhelm someone who has, you know, superior technology. It's often probably going to be a, a short-lived, you know, victory. Um, but, yeah, here it's, you know, they're... There's a, there's an article, uh, not an article, a video essay, I think titled How to Write Superman, um, colon like mm-hmm. Itman, um, by yeah. uh, what I think is a very good YouTube channel, Accented Cinema. Um, and We're going to put a link to that in the show notes to this. Cool, perfect. Um, and, you know, he talks about how Itman is basically, in none of these fights are you supposed to be like, oh, I wonder if he is going to win this hand-to-hand combat battle right it's like i think you're supposed to feel like he's kind of invincible in hand-to-hand combat he's superman in that way but you know he's not superman insofar as he can't literally fly all around the world and like take all the tanks and throw them up into space or whatever like you know he can he can only i mean fight 10 people at a time (laughs) you know and um and i thought that fight scene was great and credible you know i mean one of the things that we do is like on on our my first degree black belt test is like go fight two people like on my third degree it was like fight two second degrees and i've seen people fight three people or you know if you if people are unarmed and you manage them right like you can fight a group of people but like that's not an army right a literal army is just is going to be overwhelming and especially when they're you know armed um and so yeah i think I think the you know the movie was like kind of trying to show that like you can I don't know sort of that like individual acts and individual struggles can matter in the face of something larger but on their yeah. own aren't going to directly um change the circumstances basically. Yeah, I mean I I think the the way the movie ends especially is really brilliant to this because you know, it's clear from the first moment the general shows up, like, there's no doubt in your mind that the movie is going to end with him and Ipman having a one-on-one fight. Right, 100%. Um, it's very clear. And the whole movie is building to that. And you get the sense of, like, this is going to be a really intense fight. And it's going to be very close. And who knows? And, yeah, like you said, Ipman just wipes the floor with him. It's never really very close. Like, he kind of gets – I think he knocks Ipman down a couple times yeah. early on. Yeah, almost But it's still, like, there's the none of the – there's still no real drama to it. It's not – he's pretty clearly getting his butt kicked. And and so, as I said, Ipman, like, wipes the floor with him in a really, you know, very – like, not a, like, I just want to beat you. I don't want to hurt you. Like, this guy's not in a good place. And then Colonel Sato just shoots Ipman. Right. You know, it's literally what we were just talking about. Like, this guy who has – as far as we can tell, no martial arts ability. He's just a sadist mm-hmm. and a like a very much a racist and uh, 
yeah, very much a, like su- Japanese supremacist and yeah, maybe um, very yeah, exactly. And um, but he's he's able to do that. He, he's far enough away from it. Mine at month looking at him, he just shoots him. Yeah, and he misses and doesn't. Ki- he, he, well, he he hits him but doesn't kill him. But still, it's I think it's a very important like what the whole movie is about of like yeah, this this combat can be important, but in the grand scheme of things of like a war, it's not. Yeah, um, I, or it's not entirely because it then does this whole thing about like the inspiration and and all that, which we'll get to. Right. Um, I I do, I do think that the the suspense isn't so much what will the outcome of the fight be; it's more will that outcome change anything. Right. What will the outcome of him winning be? Exactly. Is really kind of especially because I th- I think to some extent. I think Ipmon knows, and certainly I think the audience knows, and I think actually someone warns Ipmon about this. If Ipmon lets the, if Ipmon doesn't let the general win, Ipmon may very well be killed. Right. Like I think that there's definitely a kind of like eh, you're not supposed to win this fight. Yeah. You know. And he's like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, okay, so let's 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 use that to to talk about Ipmon's journey in the movie because I think his. As I said, it's not a traditional biopic, and we'll get into, but but definitely his his character is the one who go has mo- the most journey and growth, um, and we're talking about a, a historical figure, because I think there's a lot of really interesting things that happen with him, and and I think the what we've talked about a couple of times that I want to dive into more is he really goes on a journey in terms of his understanding of what martial arts can or can't do, and and what what's how do you, so talk about what you see him learning over the course of this movie. Because it's definitely like, you know, a, a low and then coming back. Yeah, I mean, so so first off, he, you know, he starts off very rich and martial arts are like a hobby for him, I think. Yeah. Right? And I think it's something that he views as being very important. But like the same way someone who, you know, we'll go back to chess, like who, who loves chess and is a chess master feels chess is important. It's, you know, right. the same way I kind of feel poker is important. Like I don't think it's like important in terms of like it's the most important thing in the world but like i think there's lessons to be learned you know i think there's there's value in it um you know one thing that i at first i was confused because it's it seems like he's very rich because he has this very successful martial arts school which i know a lot of people who run martial arts schools perhaps yourself included who would like to be able to think that like that can generate that much wealth it can but but it doesn't usually yeah the the historical truth though, and I think the movie at least hints at this, but never really goes into it, is he actually his his parents were very rich. I yeah, think they had an import export business. Um, but yeah, so but yeah, go on. Yeah, so you know he was born into a wealthy family, so he never really knew you know need, right? Yeah. Um, and then he loses everything because you know Japanese just take it. And they're like, yeah, right. we're just taking that. Um, and you know I think he realizes that he can't fight off an invasion and that mm-hmm. he can't really all, all he's doing is just like trying to provide for his family basically just bring back some rice you know um they when he gets the job at the the coal place like um he gets a yam for lunch right like a, a baked yeah. yam and he breaks it in half and brings half of it back and honestly one of my favorite things in the movie is where he's got this yam in his pocket and he goes and fights the 10 black belts and he puts the yam at the side of the mat and then goes and beats everyone up and comes back and picks up the yam and leaves. Um, well, especially because um, he doesn't take the rest. that yam. Uh, if I remember correctly, he had given, as you said, he's, yeah. he 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 gives half of that yam to one of his friends, and that friend had also gone to fight the Japanese and had been killed. 
and it's his realization that that person had been killed right. that inspires him to want to go and, and fight the Japanese. And so that him having the yam there is very significant. Right. I, I think the friend gave him a half a yam because he knew that he had family. And Oh, yeah. Okay. Right? That, that, that's correct. Yeah. Um, and, and like eating yams in this manner is, is very familiar to me. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe not as familiar mostly in the West. So just like have a yam in your pocket, kind of, you know. Yeah. Um, although usually we'll put it in foil, but <laughs> <laughs> these days. Um, but you know, they probably uh, under these conditions couldn't afford foil. Like that seems like yeah. quite a luxury. Um, and you know, I mean, it is interesting, just like how much your perspective can change, right? When yeah. when conditions can change that much. And so he goes from you know fighting for i don't want to say entertainment but like it it does feel like kind of like as a hobby right yeah Um, it's a sport right and um you know and then at one point he's fighting to kind of uphold the name of of you know foshan and like to fight off the northerners like in in a in a duel Right. right but then then later he's he's angry and he fights you know to basically get some level of vengeance he just wants to to break people because, you know, he saw what they did. Um, cause you know, they killed his friend and, and, um, and then he kind of starts to, I don't know, learn to like, he's just like, there's no point to this, right? Like, uh, that, that didn't accomplish anything. Um, but then his, his brother asks him to teach the, the people at the, the factory because, you know, the, um, Jin and and company have been um, attacking it basically and just been you know like give us your stuff because we want it and we can fight and you can't um so so then there's like a little bit of teaching and I, I feel like that's sort of where maybe he kind of feels like there he can make a difference even if it's mm-hmm. not by directly fighting someone else um right you know and I, I mean I think in in the modern world, Teaching people self-defense has value in and of itself, but often, you know, we practice martial arts for other reasons to like, um, not just for like fitness and health, but also just like internal um, kind of self-awareness, self-control, self-discipline. Pride, like feeling like you can accomplish something. And I, and I think it's definitely something that the movie gets into because there's this idea of, you know, and I think. Again, like you can talk about how historical this is, but but the idea that this would happen in like one particular town and not not have an effect on the war itself, but but a particular town makes a lot of sense. Like, I, I think one of the ideas is that you know when during oppression, especially oppression and and like occupation, where you feel powerless, you feel hopeless, you feel like there's nothing you can do to better your situation, and now. Not only is the is the foreign army oppressing you, but your own people who are like, well, although you can talk, I mean, China being a huge place, you can talk about sure. how much it is like also foreigners, but it's fellow Chinese to be sure. Like you can't even stop them. I, I feel like it's a show not tell, but I feel like part of what the movie gets into and what Ipman learns is like that learning these skills, you can give people hope. You know, you can give people a sense of we don't have to be as totally oppressed. And that's both what the the fight against the Japanese general does, but also teaching the people at the factory. Yeah. To me, it's empowerment, right? It's, yeah, I think it's a great word for it. It's, you know, giving people a feeling even like, I think it was important that the people at the factory were able to fight back or stand up for themselves against the bandits, even if they weren't able to win. Right. Mm -hmm. It was, I think it gives them a, a positive feeling. And, you know, we could talk about like, um, conflict and trying to resolve conflict peacefully and all that, you know, there's, there's a lot there, yeah. but 
at least giving the people the skill where, where they have the choice to fight back, yeah. right? Where they have that option. Um, and and I, I think there was there was real power in that. Which I also just want to say is another one of my, like, it's a small detail, but it's one thing I love about the movie and feels much more realistic than I often see in martial arts movies. Mm-hmm. Because I think often, and not just a martial arts movie, I think this is true in any kind of thing where, like, you know, people are learning to fight. Like, often there's this idea of, like, if you have a good teacher and you have the will and the strength, like, three weeks or even six months or a year of training can allow you to defeat people who've been doing this all their lives. Right. You know? And, like... Cobra Kai, I am looking directly at you when I <laughs> yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. this. Um, but yeah, so I, this, like, I remember my partner and I, Mary, were watching this movie, and when the fight started, Electron goes, I I don't believe these people can, if these people win, I'm going to be annoyed. And so when they, like, they fought well and they surprised everyone, yeah. but then they still started to get their butt kicked, right. I was like, okay, yeah, this is much more realistic. I appreciate this. Yeah, it was like the tanks turned around and were like, whoa. And they're like, wait, wait, wait. No, we can we can take these people. And then Iman showed up and, you know, it was, right. I think, convincing that he could defeat them, particularly with these other people also, you know, engaged right. in, in, in the struggle. But, but yeah, I, I thought that was nice that they showed that, like, you can learn a lot pretty quickly and it will be a lot better than knowing nothing but like yeah you're not gonna just suddenly be a master at something you know because the plot wants you to be yeah i think it's very true yeah i I feel like this whole journey that he goes on one other important thing actually about his journey that i want to mention is early in the movie he's willing to take these people on but he doesn't want to make a public spectacle of it you know right um the the fight against the first guy master liu it's more masterly you who wants to fight in private, but especially mm-hmm. when like there's a huge crowd that wants to watch him fight Jin, and it's all these people like yeah, show him, kick his butt, kick his butt, show him that the South is better, and he's like no no no, we're just gonna fight in my room in private, we're gonna break all my wife's stuff, which <laughs> dude like if you love martial arts this much you've got to have some kind of room in your house that doesn't have all the your your yeah, wife's yeah. vases yeah <laughs> I mean he's got nice. a nice outdoor space use yeah. it with the one guy right like. But but the point is that he, he doesn't want people to see. He wants it to be one on one. And I, I part of what I got out of it is that by the end, he understands that fighting like that the people who watch the fight can be inspired and changed by it. Like and that that's a big a big thing that's changed for him. For sure. Yeah. I mean at that point he sees that that fight can can be um like symbolic, right? And right. I th- I think he's kind of resisting the other fights being symbolic. Because he like right. kind of doesn't want them to be. He's like, look, this is just just two people fighting. Like it doesn't mean right. a lot. But here he's like, all right, it it means something. Yeah. <laughs> or like exactly. he wants it to mean something now. You know, before right. he was like, it's okay. It's you know, let's have some tea. Let's yeah. <laughs> you know, let's eat <laughs> eat some food. Like, have you eaten yet? Like, I think one other part of this for Ipmon is that. Ipmon goes back and forth about whether he even wants to fight or not. Like, he has to be convinced to fight Master Liu. He has to be convinced to fight Jin. And at first, he doesn't want to fight the Japanese. Mm-hmm. And I think I think a part of it is he's feeling like he doesn't want to play their game. Right. You know, he feels that to it's kind of like being a, 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 a you know, it, it's like dancing to their tune. It's He knows that, like, everything is fixed and, like, you're probably going to get killed if you do too well. But also, like, you're kind of doing this for the entertainment of your oppressors. Right. And... What, what's your kind of take on how, how that changes for him and his his decision to fight for the first time because he's angry, but the second time because he wants to, to fight the general? Uh, I'm trying to remember whether there was some like additional 
plot point nuance in there, and I can't remember if there was, but uh, I I do feel like he just oh don't they yeah, kind of well, coerce he, him into doing it by yeah. So it? the first thing is that some soldiers are sent to try and arrest him, right. and the 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 former cop who is a collaborator for yeah. part of the movie like winds up helping him like beat up these cops in parts so that his family can get away. But he's kind of arrested, and he's placed in a situation where, yeah, he's basically going to get killed and uh, imprisoned, and and so he sort of says to the general, like, "I'll that now I'll fight you." Right. And and during this time, also, I think part of it is also the threat. The general is like, "Well, I can go get after your family," and so like there's a side thing of the family trying to escape. Yeah. Um. But then wanting to turn around because they always have to be there to support him while he fights, which I was like, I. <sighs> It happens all the time in all kinds of movies, but it's always dumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They should have just but, kept going. Yeah. Um, historical note, I think his, his wife did end up getting stuck in the in the mainland. And I think um, in when, so when he was in Hong Kong, I think she, she wasn't actually there with him for like the rest of their mm-hmm. lives. Um, yeah. So that, that's some, some uh, uh, license that they took with the, the events <laughs> in, in numbers two and three. But, yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. Uh, he, he's he's not the best husband and father in this movie, I think I would say, right? Like, there's there's times when he's just, like, ignoring his son. He's kind of ignoring the family. Like, he's he's of the sort of, like, you know, I'm going to provide for you, but, like, I'm not necessarily attentive or... Um, yeah, like, the, the, there's a scene that, like, it's so cliche as, like, the way to show someone's a bad parent, but, but it works. Yeah. Uh, where it's not, like, malicious, but just, like, not... A t- like you said, is... He's in a situation where people are talking to him about this martial arts situation that's happening, and his his kid is not a fighter. Like, I mean, he's very young, but it's pretty clear, like, he's more of an artist, mm-hmm. and I think it's part of... And he wants to show his father this drawing he did. He's, like, six or seven, and the father just completely blows him off to keep talking about martial arts. And I was like, okay, so that's the, like, check to show he's not a good parent. Clearly, by the end of the movie, that will have changed, which it, which it largely does. Right, right. Yeah, um... And I, I think I don't know. I think sometimes in in more difficult times, people sometimes find something in terms of yeah. like or or need to, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I guess I don't know. The, the, <laughs> I've watched the beginning of the movie like five times, and the uh-huh. end I think I only watched the one time. So um, and that that hasn't been as recent. Um, so I guess I guess it's harder to comment on kind of why he he does change his mind i i felt like it was a little bit sort of being compelled and being like all right well i i have to do this i will say that there was one um there was one scene at the end just before the fight where he's he's imprisoned right he's being in imprisoned to then fight so he doesn't have a whole lot of agency at that point i guess he could just be like i won't fight you you can kill me and he's like no i'll fight you fine um but uh you know the, the general tries to to give him like a proper meal the night before right, right? and he's like i'm i'm not taking this um yeah. and that felt very you know symbolically um kind of like opposed right to mm-hmm. um in the the very first time we see him fight with master lu um he's like yo oh come eat you know and they're eating and then they're sitting there yeah you're and my colleague dessert. i respect you let's break bread right. together not break bread but sure, yeah like yeah. that idea and 
Um, and you know, he's having a smoke and he's like, okay, let's, uh, yeah, let's, let's fight. Okay, cool. Um, and here he's just like, you know, we're not <laughs> friends. Like I'm not taking your hospitality, you know, right. like I'm going to fight however I am. And yeah. Uh, I yeah. mean, you probably should eat the food just because, you know, <laughs> but like, whatever, fine. I, I get the symbolic. I mean, gesture. you also probably shouldn't smoke before a fight. Probably <laughs> not. That is discouraged. That is discouraged. Uh, but yeah, it, it, to me, it's one of those moments where, like, realistically, you want to be at your strength and eating food is good. But I very much get the symbol, which is that I, I feel like the general is trying to kind of have it both ways, mm-hmm. which is he the general wants this idea of, no, we're 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 colleagues and we're going to fight the way you used to fight with your friends. But I'm going to win to prove to you that my way is better. But in this way, like, we, but it's like, I want you to respect me while I beat you. Right. Even though I've used guns to get you into this ring to begin with, or this match to begin with, uh, and and his refusal to play along with that is, I think, very important. It's it's his refusal to to dignify what the general is trying to do. Yeah, for and to sh- kind of g- give it that veneer of accept- acceptability. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I think he wants it to be like, um, like he's really into martial arts, and I think he respects what Itman can do right and he wants to prove that like you know the japanese are superior that the japanese way is superior and he wants it to be like look i want you to accept this at the end when i beat you and he doesn't want colonel sato to to murder him right he's like no this has to be square and you know it's this sort of like you know but at the same time like not accepting that it's like look you're an occupying army right what yeah. part of this is is fair like there's no you can't have it both ways um and that's a story i think we often see of like the oppressor who wants to act like no we're just here to help we're just your friends mm-hmm. you know and like um again i don't want to get too much of the history of it but like part of like the claim the japanese claims of, of their war aims was this like we are liberating Asia from Western imperialism. Right. And, like, that was very true. Like, certainly China had been, like, horribly colonized and, and you know, um, uh, taken advantage of in horrible ways by, by Westerners for almost 100 years at this point. But, yeah, the, but the idea that, like, no, we're much better is also clearly not being proven out to be true either. And so it it, it gives one more ele- – knowing that kind of gives one more element to, like, what this general is trying to do. Like, no, we're just – we want you to see that we're here to teach you our ways because our ways are better, but we want you to respect us. And, and him just refusing to be a part of that. Yeah, and, I mean, speaking as someone who's grown up in the United States – that seems kind of like the United States' MO throughout the world. Very, the very, time, very much, yeah. Is being like, oh, we're liberating all these places. And, you know, oh, yeah. we're, we're going to show that our way is the right way. And it's like, yeah, we're going around murdering a bunch of people. And, like, I'm not going to argue that whatever governments are overthrown were good governments. But, like, you're not usually doing better. And, like, that doesn't yeah. seem like a good way of going about things. Um, yeah, like so, some of the governments we we overthrew were were pretty not great. Some of them were just fine, like you know, sure. Andy and Chile. Sure. Yeah, but yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but I, I think it's very true. Like America does that. The British certainly did that with all of their colonies. You know, Germany and France and other European countries did their colonies. Yeah, it's it's, it's a tale as old as time. It's by mm-hmm. no means unique to the Japanese, but it's it's just one more part of the thing there. Um, so this is gonna be a long episode. There's a lot to talk about here. Um, we at one point thought we would talk about this movie, Ip Man Four, and Cobra Kai. <laughs> 
that was uh, <laughs> overly ambitious. Um, but there's kind of two last points I want to I want us to get into, and one we've talked about some, but I think the movie really does an interesting exploration of it, and it's how the war affects people. You know, and it's like we're we're kind of seeing. We see kind of like four responses to the war or five maybe. You know, one is just the people who are just kind of beaten down and just trying to get by. Um, then there's ones like the former cop who I think acts, you know, collaborates with the Japanese. You can mm-hmm. call him a collaborator perhaps, um, you know, where it's the like, well, I – and he, he I think is very much in contrast to Ipmon because he is the one who is – very much trying to give that veneer of respectability and saying, no, this is a legit martial arts, you know, contest right. and, and trying to cover up the fact that like sometimes people are shot mm-hmm. because they fight too well. Um, then you've got folks like the Northern Raiders where it's like, well, this is chaos and it's every, every area for themselves. We're not going to worry about kind of preying on our own people or something like that. Um, and then the people who are like, yeah, like Master Liu, who's like, yeah, I'm going to fight the Japanese. I'm going to do whatever I can, even though I was probably going to get me killed. And then there's the Japanese themselves. Um, we, we might talk about each of them individually but or, or more generally, but we just kind of start with you, Paul. Like, how do you feel about how the movie shows, like, all these different possible reactions to, to the Japanese occupation? Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. You know, I, I think it – some people – you know, the majority of the people seem like they're kind of just trying to get by. And yeah. I would even say that – was it Officer Lee, I think, who becomes mm-hmm. the interpreter – um, who is like, you know, it's like, he's also just trying to get by, you know, yeah. he's doing it in, by collaborating with people who are oppressing the people that he used to be in charge of oppressing. I mean, um, um, law enforcing, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, and so that's kind of a, you know, he goes from being an authority to being like, oh, I will speak for this new authority basically. Right. You know, and so that that kind of like scans, I think. I think that makes a yeah. lot of sense, right? People often are going to – some people are like, well, this is – now this is who's in power, you know. And, yeah. you know, other people aren't aren't always necessarily going to be like whoever was in power was were people that I respected or wanted to be in power. So it's like whatever. It's just changed. You know, that's – I think the – you know, the northerners are kind of just like this is just how the world is and we're just going to try and, you know, get by our own way. Right. You know, seems like a pretty bad way, but like it's horrible circumstances. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I which again, I think I, I I do think is a detail of the film that because of the circumstance under which it's made, may not have been able to go into quite as much as they wanted to. Because again, like the I don't know too much of the history, but like the Chinese Civil War between the communists and the republic, like was going on kind of like before, yeah. during, and after the Japanese occupation and and so the northern southern conflict definitely has some elements of that which obviously the movie is not going to touch right um these guys didn't seem like they would be super into the politics yeah like i think they were definitely just like but what you're saying who cares we're just we're just trying to take but but it's also the idea of like even before the japanese got there like this is not like a peaceful happy nation where everything is great like there's already all this upheaval and and so there being people from the north who are like driven out because of the conflicts and stuff sure. and, and looking for their own. One thing I just want to say about uh, Officer Liu, who, as I said, like, he's – the people call him a collaborator, but I've been kind of almost a little careful with that language because he does – he is a collaborator for a decent portion of the movie. But I feel like the whole movie w- makes him very sympathetic in a way. Like, mm-hmm. that doesn't justify what he does, and I think it's very critical of him for it. But, like, 
you know, he does have kind of a hero turn at the end, which matters. But even at the start of the movie, he's a cop and I don't want to be defending cops by any means. But there's this interesting dynamic that's set up where in this town where everybody is really good at martial arts, this guy isn't. Right. And it's clear that, like, he's turned to being a cop as a way to kind of have a, like, no, look, I can be strong, too. And I think it's a horrible thing to ever decide to do and a very bad reason to do it. But there's a little sympathy I have for, like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you're the little brother who's been maybe getting bullied by everybody else because everyone else is really good at fighting in a way you're not. And, yeah, now you're like, I need to have some power myself. And so I want to have the gun or I want to work for the Japanese or, like, he's presented in a way I feel – it's not even that it sympathizes, it humanizes it, you know? Yeah. like The collaborator is often one of the more cartoonish two-dimensional villains in movies like this. Right, right? like in I the really like the here or something. Yeah, you, you kind of understand. You're like kind of like, I, I hope I wouldn't do that, but I can understand why he would. Yeah, I think he's a, a very compelling um, <laughs> character, um, Officer Lee, right? I think mm-hmm. um, the the actor, um, Katong Lam, was um, he's in Infernal Affairs also, which is a movie uh, that I've often. OK, yeah. Um, how, how did you Because he's listed as uh, Gordon Lam. At first, I thought you got the name wrong. There was no, you're probably actually giving the uh, non-anglicized version of the name. Yeah, no, I guess he's credited in this as, um, oh, I don't know. Uh, I, what was he? He was credited there as Gordon. Oh, I see. So I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page. Yeah. And on the page, it just says Gordon Lam. But then when you like scroll over it, it says Gordon Lam Katong. Right. Yeah. And and um, I mean, I, I'm not sure if he's, is he from Hong Kong? I, I imagine. Um, but He's a Hong Kong actor, film producer, and screenwriter. Yeah. So mo- most Hong Kong actors will have a Chinese name and like an anglicized name. Um, yeah, par- partially because of you know the history of Hong Kong, I guess, but also just a lot of a lot of people have you know multiple names. Like like Tony Long isn't isn't called Tony Long; he's called um, I think it's Long Chao Wei, right? right. Um, and I mean, and that's also like I mean, all over the world, people will often kind of feel like they have to change their name. Like Richie Valens was born Ricardo Valenzuela, right? You know? Right? Like, yeah. But yeah, it's I mean, it's. Um, <coughs> That's obviously a huge thing, right? I mean, you know, Gordon Sumner became Sting. Like, like you know, people change their names. You change your name like five times, but right. Uh, but well, yeah, but some. Like, t- I know it's not the same thing. I know. But I really mean, like, it's often because of like racist attitudes of like you have to have a more like acceptable name in order to get a career in in media stuff. Right. Absolutely. And I, I think though in Hong Kong it's maybe a little different because Hong Kong mm-hmm. is this you know English and Cantonese and Mandarin speaking. Um, That's fair, yeah. You know, uh, very, very specific area, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but of, of course, you know, you're right. Um, that's also true. Um, but so, um, anyway, he's in Infernal Affairs, which has Tony Long, um, and is great, and you should watch it. But, <laughs> um, and, but not a lot of kung fu. Um, <laughs> also, the inspiration for the movie, uh, The Departed, is very much a retelling of that same movie. Correct, and the, the okay. movie itself having been an homage to Scorsese. All right, right. Um, <laughs> but Officer Lee, I, I think, is like, it's just is a great character because I, I think. Um, it just he just feels real, right? He feels real yeah. and and relatable. Maybe not in a like. Maybe some people are like, oh yeah, maybe I would do that. Maybe some people are like, oh hell no, I, you know, <laughs> I would definitely not not do that. But um, but like you see it and you're like, yeah, I could see how someone would do that. And like I can understand where they're coming from, even if I disagree with their decisions. Um, right. And 
you know, whereas other people are like, I'm going to fight, you know, the, the occupiers, right? And I, right. I do want to say, like, you know, we keep saying Japanese, like, it's specifically the Japanese military, right? Yes, it's, also very, very true. Um, and, of course, the, you know, civilians of Japan were also, um, you know, murdered by atrocities committed by the United States and others. And, you know, so mm-hmm. it's, uh, it, it, was, it, it was a horrible time. Uh, a lot of a lot of horrible things were going on um and and here you know it just i i yeah i mean things like war are gonna affect different people differently and you know yeah um you know to some extent people might say like well conflict like reveals character maybe you know to some extent uh sometimes it changes character to some extent i think as well and, right um and and so i did like the kind of hero turn of of lee at the end even though it wasn't like you know, it's not like he's just, like, suddenly out of nowhere. Like, he kind of... You could kind of see that he always wanted to, like... You know, he was the one who was like, you have to fight Jin to stand up for, for our name, you know? Right. So he clearly has this very strong regional pride, right? Um, mm-hmm. Local pride. And um, and I think he would love nothing more than to, you know, be able to drive off, um, you know, the Japanese military, the you know, the occupying forces. But, like, he doesn't see that as something he can do. And yeah. so he kind of just does what he does. And in some ways, I think he is kind of the, like, when you tell a story about how a person inspires a whole group, you often want to have one particular person they inspire who kind of, like, they get to he- like the, the, be the face of that mm-hmm. larger group. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very clear that, like, for Officer Lee, uh, Officer Lee his, his, his inspiration very much comes from Ipmon. You know, you see when... Ipmon fights the Ten Soldiers, like, he's very avidly watching, and you can see, like, and then it is when Ipmon stands up to the the the, the Japanese soldiers who've come to arrest him that, that kind of the Officer Lee winds up helping him, you know, and I think, so he, his story winds up being kind of the microcosm of this idea of the larger sort of inspiration, uh, inspirational role that Ipmon is supposed to have. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's the face that's given to that, um, that effect, yeah. basically. Um, okay, so yeah, again, like the war, we can talk so much more about, and I, I really do appreciate. We should have been saying this from the beginning, but the the the, the importance of talking about like the Japanese military as opposed to like the whole Japanese people by any means. Like you know, Japan at that time was ruled by a fascist government. It was by no means like the uh, you know the will of the whole Japanese people that all these things were happening. Um, but but let's go into the last thing that I wanted to talk about because again, we can go into so much more time with with war and all that. Um, I walked away thinking like. How interesting, like, this is, because I, I, this is my own ignorance, I, I knew nothing about this movie until you recommended that I saw it. Like, I actually thought it was IP Man. Right, right. From the way, because you, you just were texting yeah. it to me, and then I had yeah. to be like, oh, no, no, it's not the word man, it's his name is Ip Man. Yeah. Um, it just happens to be pronounced like our word man. Well, it's not, um, it's pronounced man, not man, but it's spelled like man. Right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, Ip Man, not Ip Man, but, um, that, but... But also, I, even once I knew it was a person, I had no idea it was a real real person mm-hmm. until the very end of the movie. I'm guessing a lot of people, especially in China, who would watch it would know that. A lot of martial arts people in, in this country around the world would know that. But I think a lot of people didn't. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting that it's only at the end of the movie that it like tells you all that. Uh, in a really kind of like nice stirring, stirring scene uh, of like, you know, kind of exposition. Uh, but so my first reaction, like that's a it, it's interesting to kind of use the motif of a of a martial arts movie to basically tell a biopic you right. know like that it's 
uh, and I know you you hate that term and you feel like this movie isn't a biopic. Um, t- talk more about why. Yeah, so uh, biopics, like, first of all, the word biopic just looks goofy to me. And I always think it could be pronounced biopic, which sounds horrible also. But um, usually... <laughs> that sounds like a medical procedure. <laughs> <laughs> right? Usually a, a biopic takes place over a very long number of years. And personally, I very rarely enjoy movies that take place over a long number of years. This takes place in like two segments, I'd say. And so there, there is, you know, the whole time lapse thing. Um, It, you know, sometimes these things are trying to be very accurate and tell like a single person's entire life story. Um, And so I'd say, you know, if you want to call this a biopic, sure. I mean, it, it takes so many liberties that it's like, Maybe, maybe we, you know, more inspired by more like, you know, the movie, uh, the harder they fall, where it's like they used the names of real people. Right. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like the stories of those people per se. Right. right. Um, and so here, like they use the name of a real person. They made a character based off of, you know, an understanding of who this person was. Um, but they were like, we want to tell this specific story that kind of has like, almost like a prologue, like the first 30 minutes feels like a prologue to me. And then there's Mm -hmm. like a 75 minute uh, picture that's about, you know, basically what happens during the occupation. And um, yeah, so just, I, I don't know. There's things that happen in the movie that I think might've bothered me more if they were like, if it was just like some totally random piece of fiction. Um, But I like the, it feels to me like historical fiction. I guess that's kind of almost how I would frame it, you know, with a real person as uh, the main character, but where they basically just wrote a story and um, it's, you know, it's a period piece and it takes place in two very close together periods. So, um, yeah, I think what I usually dislike about most biopics is I feel like they're just trying to tell too much of the story of someone's life and trying to kind Mm. of sensationalize it in certain ways. Whereas I think if you told a story about a given person over the course of like a week or a year or whatever, I think I, I tend to find something like that more, more compelling. Yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense. Like I know the movie Lincoln, I think I often look to as a movie where like it, it kind of gives you an insight into the, the character, the figure of Abraham Lincoln, but it's really just about like a two week period in his life, mm. you know, mm-hmm. when he's like trying to decide like towards the end of the war, how to, um, I think it's actually about the Emancipation Proclamation, but it's about, oh, I did not like the movie very much, okay. <laughs> but it, it's about a very specific time in right. his life. Um, yeah, and, and and I think that's very true. And it, it, to me, it's an interesting way of telling the story because I certainly walked away thinking that, especially because of the way that it ends in a very, like, here's what happened next right. to this real life figure ending with, like, pictures of him and Bruce Lee and, like, this is a real thing. I certainly was like, oh, are they telling me the events of this movie happened? And, like, like there's this fight between the Japanese general, like, it's completely made up for the movie. Um, he did quite famously, like, this is historical fact, he refused to teach martial arts to the Japanese military, yeah. specifically the Japanese military police. Um, and that's a big part of why he fled Fushan. Uh, is, again, from my, like, reading Wikipedia about the history, I'm not by any means <laughs> right, a Chinese right, right, history right. expert. Um, but, yeah, so it, it's a very interesting thing of, like, I think historical fiction is kind of like the best the best way to tell it, you know. Um, like I, I uh, think if you think of like Jeff Shahara uh, and the books he's re- written about the Civil War, mm. um, 
you know, I think those are the Killer Angels is the most famous that got made in the movie Gettysburg. But they're, they're fiction. You know, it's kind of like based in the truth, but the incidents themselves are, are often made up. And yeah, it, it's in, it's definitely interesting to use this to have it's much more about the Kung Fu than about the characters. I feel like I have to kind of just there's a part of me that's like, I, I wish that if I, I wish that they either had made this like a story about just like a random person they made up if some of the events were going to be made up or told something more interesting to his more directly connected to his historical story. But then I, I, I feel like I need to kind of step back and be like, I am using the motifs of the Western cinema that I grew up watching. Mm, mm-hmm. This is a completely different like school of movie making, which has a lot of similarities to be sure, but like very different ways of doing things. And, and so I kind of wanted to appreciate like the, it, it, it's not something that easily fits into the care, the sort of categories of, is it fiction or historical fiction or biopic or something like that? But just like, it's a, it, it's a, I think the way you put it is really good. Like it is, it is, in the realm of the truth of the story of this person, but using fictionalized events to kind of get across these these larger ideas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, my my frame of reference for historical fiction is uh, Bernard Cornwell's um, Sharp's Rifles and Sharp's Gold and et cetera, et cetera, which there was a yeah. BBC series with, with Sean Bean. That's like the first place I really knew Sean Bean from. Um, and Where he lives. Right. <laughs> exactly. <Spoilers. laughs> and I mean, it's a long series and he's the main character. Yeah. So he clearly doesn't die in every episode. He's not Kenny from South Park. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, the Duke of Wellington is like, is a, is a character, you know, and there's, right. there are historical figures who are characters. Sharp is not really a, a historical figure, but it takes place with, you know, stuff that was really going on with stuff that they made up. And, yeah. um, I, you know, I, I like that here. And, um, I actually started watching this movie called dynasty warriors after I saw all four of these, which apparently is based on a video game, which should have been a, a telltale, um, sign, <laughs> but, um, it was, I used to play this game called romance of the three kingdoms, which is from the three kingdoms period of, of, you know, Chinese that, history. Yeah. And, uh, and so I was expecting, I was like, oh, the characters, and th- these are the these are the butchered way that uh, I uh, have pronounced their names, not the authentic way. But, um, you know, Cao Cao, Liu Pei, um, Lu Bu, like Guan Yu. It's like all these characters. I'm like, oh, I know all these guys. They're all in the video game. And like, you know, and like, so I'm expecting this like kind of historical whatever. The first scene, there's a battle scene. And then this necromancer raises the dead of his whole army. <laughs> and like, everybody's got these magical powers. And I'm like, oh, I guess it's not historical yeah. fiction. It's historical science fiction. <laughs> yeah. But like, apparently that's fairly common is there's like a lot of things like that. You know, and I, I feel like we actually don't see that much of that in Western cinema. Like we'll see things mm-hmm. like, you know, the Marvel verse where you have captain america and that's kind of maybe the closest thing you know but it's like here you have these historical figures and they're like shooting lightning bolts or like fireballs and and it's like i don't know it's interesting even in this movie i'm understanding and you can say more about this understanding is this is very much in the style of like hong kong martial arts movies Mm -hmm. like they're telling you that this is like kind of like it's set in a real time it's set in but like the martial arts is clearly incredibly well shot. The actors are martial artists themselves. And a lot of it is very, very realistic. But then like a lot of the times when like people punch or kick, it's like, "Ah, that's, that's, that, 
that's not what actually happened. Like, people, like, fly 15 oh, feet yeah. through the yeah. air. The physics when, are fictional. Yeah. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. And there's a sort of, like, it, they're not saying that these are superpowers, but it's definitely, like, that's that's for show, not necessarily the realistic, like, they're not trying to be, like, hyper-realistic about this martial arts in this moment. Right. Yeah, I would say the martial arts movements themselves are very realistic. The physics of what happens to a body after it gets hit, <laughs> or if someone's falling over and the way they can pop themselves back up, like, those are, those right. are wire tricks, right? Which is yeah. classic Hong Kong cinema. So. And, and, like, like Marvel and DC does that all the time. Right. You know? But, like, you, you don't normally get that, at least in, in, in American cinema, you don't get that with, like, movies that are based in truth kind of things as often um, right yeah yeah i think that's i think that's which again i'm right. not saying it's better by any means sure it's, just, it's, just, it's, yeah. a, it's a difference it's a yeah. thing yeah i agree all right well again there's so much more we could talk about we're going to talk about the fourth movie where uh in a later episode where we also talk about cobra kai because i haven't seen it yet but you described it like that's going to get even more into this idea of like person versus person and as a microcosm of school versus school, mm-hmm. ver- as a microcosm of style versus style, which every season of Cobra Kai, but especially this last one, has very, you know, the whole, like, is Eagle Eagle Fang better than Cobra Kai? Is that better than Miyagi-Do? Like, it's very much similar themes. Um, so I think that we can kind of stop our discussion here. We'll definitely be revisiting it. But is there any other last kind of comments or, or things you wanted to bring up about this movie? Uh, no, I think we pretty much covered everything about the movie. Um, you know, early on you were talking about the portrayal of martial arts in movies. And Mm -hmm. I guess, uh, I I did want to just kind of mention that like one of the things when, um, when Shang-Chi came out or was announced as being like, you know, the first Asian or Asian American, you know, superhero in the MCU, it's like, oh, and he's a martial artist. Okay. Like, that's something that I think in the West is very seen seen as being very kind of stereotypical of, right. you know, Eastern culture, right? Um, and, I mean, it is very much an element of, right? But I think it's a much smaller element than a lot of people think of in the West. And I think um, the idea of these, like, great levels of respect that martial arts teachers, all, you know, um, have uh, is, is sometimes a little misguided. Like, I know my teacher... Um, you know, he's grandmaster, ninth degree, learned from the founder of Taekwondo, you know, um, Korean American. And he, he says his family like thought of him as kind of like, you know, like a, like a, a, a hooligan or like, yeah. you know, for like going into like, what you're going to l- teach people how to beat people up. Like it wasn't, you know, necessarily this super, um, like honorable, like highly yeah. regarded, whatever. And so I think, um, you know, this movie kind of shows it, it plays with some of that, but it doesn't, I think, um, I don't know. It's, it just, it feels a little different when you have, you know, a, a Hong Kong movie portraying this than like when you have a Hollywood movie. Um, yeah. And so it, a lot of it feels a little bit less like it's, you know, not that some of the things that some of the stereotypes come from, I feel like are present, but it's not like the stereotype. It's not the sort of second yeah. generation or the sort of processed version it, it feels um like it is more you know kind of from the source right and yeah that's not to say that hollywood shouldn't make martial arts movies i, I don't think that um but it is to say that there is there are things that you will find in um itman that you won't find in most hollywood martial arts films right i mean i think it's why we, and we did a whole episode about this but why shang chi was such an important movie because that that felt like much more like you know, a movie that was honoring these things instead of being like the very Western stereotypes of, 
you know, martial artists and things like that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but also the same reason that like, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to see, um, you know, Kamala Khan or like, or I guess it's Kamala Khan. I think her name Kamala is actually Khan, pronounced yeah. different um, from, from Kamala Harris. But um, yeah, I remember when I, yeah. I'd been hearing talk about her for like six months. And so when uh, Kamala Harris made like really told people how to pronounce her name, I was like, but, but that's not how the co- Okay, that's not that's, how that's the fair. comic book character <laughs> pronounces her name, so you must be wrong. Not even <laughs> not that, but just like I've heard that other pronunciation for a long time. Oh. I've got to reprogram. Yeah, I head. had the exact yeah. opposite experience. So, <laughs> oh, the, like the Kamala Khan was like sounded weird to you. Kamala Khan sounded Kamala, weird to yeah, me because like, no, I, yeah, I knew yeah. that Kamala yeah. Harris's name was pronounced that way. Anyway, um, but yeah, <laughs> but you know, I and I, I'd, I'd like to see. You know, it's it's why you need more of any given group right you don't want to have one person representing like an entire two-thirds of the world's population like i think we talked about how like it's so awesome that shang chi is now a character in the marvel universe but part of it we're happy that also jimmy Wu also is you know in another asian character who has no martial arts skill oh yeah maybe maybe has some but we've never seen he's not a martial artist in those movies in any way shape no he's a prestidigitator yes fantastic a master of close-up magic all right well i think it's about time to wrap up um so uh paul where can people find what you're doing these days uh you can find it at uh you know zenmadman.com twitter zenmadman twitch zenmadman um very very soon probably by the time this episode airs there will be new stuff there to see so check it out and if there's not then i don't know i'm just a failure at life no uh (laughs) Look, both of us, like, I got COVID, your par- your mother's been sick, your mother-in-law's oh. been going through stuff. Like, we've both had yeah, a lot no. of things yeah. happen in our life. Yeah. Um, My mom's fine. She's got a new apartment. It's great. Right. My mother-in-law was sick. She's actually doing a lot better right now. So Wait, that's... your mother had surgery, didn't she? she yeah, she wasn't sick. She had eye surgery. Okay, so, yeah, so... yeah. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. Both of them were dealing with there's, there's been a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. That that at, is at an some point. Summary. At some point, we're hopefully going to start streaming some of these episodes yeah. on um, the Zen Madman Twitch stream. Uh, so definitely check that out. And of course, for this, um, you know, we've talked about a lot of hard stuff, a lot of stuff that people might have a lot of thoughts on. Uh, we'd love to hear you. Whether you're, it's you know you agree with us, uh, very much disagreeing, you know, um, whatever the perspective is, we'd love to hear from you. If you go to theethicalpanda.com. There you'll find all the ways to contact us, Facebook, Twitter. You can email us. You can use the contact form there. We'd love to hear feedback. Um, We'd love to get more of it. Uh, And, of course, at that website, you'll also find all the other podcasting I'm doing, the Superhero Ethics Podcast. Um, I just was a guest on the uh, Totally Awesome 80s Podcast where we talked about risky business. Hmm. Um, uh, a movie that my, my, my opinion on has changed dramatically from like the first time I saw it when I was like 13 to when I then thought about it in my 20s to then seeing it again now and realizing like the whole thing is satire of the world I grew up in in a brilliant way that I really want to – that it made me appreciate the movie a lot more than I originally had. Um, so that will be out soon. Uh, of course, you can also find me on the Marvel Movie Minute talking about the movie Thor. Yay. Uh, which, by the way uh, – the day after I record this, Paul's going to be a guest on that. So he'll be coming. That'll be probably coming out in a few months. So yeah, lots of great things to check out. You can find that all on the Check out all of Paul's stuff by searching for Zed man, man in all the places. Uh, let us know what you thought. And most importantly, have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>